today. I can't. <laughs> Welcome to the Taikaishi Network Podcast, episode one twenty four. I'm your co-host Kent, and with me is your other co-host. Uh, it's Jason. Well, <laughs> were you not paying attention or something? Yeah. Well, the uh, your your end was breaking up there. What? Oh, I hope we don't have <laughs> problems with this. This is this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but okay, like, do we have anybody out there that uh, is watching? Zilla, are you out there uh, watching this time? Probably not yet, since we just started. So it's, it's I would say it's going to take a little bit. <laughs> Or probably because we're like five minutes late, he thought we forgot or something. But anyway, here we are. Um, we're going to be uh, briefly talking about there have been some Godzilla King of the Monsters merchandise coming, uh, pictures coming out. Um, I realized we didn't talk about some of the figure um, uh, things uh, like three or so weeks ago when pictures of the some of the toys leaked um but several other things have been leaked just in this week so i want to briefly touch upon that and then i think unless you have something else uh, we'll get in the discussion of 1991's godzilla versus king Ghidorah. i uh i really can't think of much besides from what you discussed that uh i did managed to see some of those leaks of the pictures and as well as you also posted up was it a, a cover or one of the cover arts for the upcoming art book yeah well it's the monsters. too bloody disgusting where they have a little bit of information on that and really it is just the leaks um and yeah, it's it's the leak to the cover of Art of Godzilla King of the Monsters and one of my favorite things of all time, movie novelization. So they are making a novelization of King of the Monsters, which has me stoked because um, if uh, you talk about genres of books, one of my favorite book genres are novelizations. And I know some people don't like them because by and large, a lot of them tend to be very much like the movie, which is true. Um, but as I found through my reading of novelizations over the years, um, I have found really it depends. Yes, some novelizations are almost exactly like the movie with some very small differences that really don't make a big deal one way or the other. Then I have read some that are sort of in the middle where there's some moderate changes that, yeah, are maybe mildly big but nothing incredibly big and then i've read some that are almost totally different from what you see on screen mm -hmm. and um so i've read a number of these over the course of of my life um and i'm really curious to see what uh the king of the monsters novelization is all about i i i really can't wait. I remember reading the 2014 Godzilla novelization and there were some small changes there. Um, one of the things uh, that I noticed that I thought uh, the novel did slightly better was characterization. And there were a couple scenes um, during the final battle that involved a little bit more Godzilla Muto action. And actually two of the scenes uh, were flipped in the novel but were rearranged in the final movie. So okay. uh, those were like sort of the real big changes in that particular story. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm really 
into that. And then, of course, um, we had some like costumes come out, kids and adults. Uh, it seems like the adult Godzilla blow up costume this time looks a little bit better than the one from 2014. Yeah, I would have to and then say the so. The one. What, they it, brought out one? Yeah, you haven't seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, I got to go find it. Why don't you fill up some air? I can't believe you haven't seen it. Let me go find it here. It's well, all over but, Facebook. Well, I didn't uh, really see any of the costume pics. I've only seen the, the figure, uh, like, pictures. Uh, is it, uh, was it, uh, who's, uh, uh, who, who are making those uh, figures again? I think it. I think it uh, might I be like Jax or something. Um, yeah, I think it's probably the same people where I got. I know I've I got think the same people that made the figures. Um, um, I think back in 2014. Yeah, because yeah, I know that uh, Jack Pacific was doing a another foot tall version of Godzilla, from what I've heard, and. Uh, 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 yeah, the, I haven't seen the costumes, and then I know I, uh, I think in one of the episodes a while back where I talked about that, uh, I, there's a potential of a oh. prequel, uh, graphic novel, uh, which I think they'll be doing again, but, uh, as far as I know, we haven't heard as much information on that yet. It looks like there may even be a dog costume. A dog costume. Yeah, let me take a look at this stuff here. Oh, gosh, yeah, there's King Ghidorah wall breaker. Yep, a pet costume, a Godzilla wall breaker, a movable jaw Godzilla child's mask, like the Jurassic Park ones. Uh-huh. Well, and then uh, I'm going through... Oh my gosh, these are cool too. Adult masks like Rodan, Kinkadora, and Mothra. And I'm going through, uh, is it Sci-Fi Japan here? Apparently there's a Subaraya convention going to be taking place towards the end of the year. Uh, According to what they have here is uh, that the convention is going to take place from December 14th through the 15th, which is a Saturday and Sunday over at the Tokyo Dome City there, which I believe it's right around the same time where they have the Ultraman convention. I forget the name of of that specific one, but they usually have it right around that area around that time every year. I actually want to do a screen share with you because I realize I can't like upload pictures here to you. So I'm going to do a screen share my entire screen. Share that. Okay. How about, how about just send me a link instead? Well, I can't really. Okay. So here. Okay. There's that. Okay. The King Ghidorah. And then I want to show it. Whoops. It'll load here. Yeah. Give it a moment. Okay. So there's the pet costume. What? (laughs) And then the wall breakers and then the child mask. That looks cool. Yeah, those look pretty dope. That, I don't know what that is. 
Then there's one of the adult costumes. Here, like the masks. Yeah, those those masks up uh, up above seem to be more like the ones that they brought out four years ago. Yeah, there's a repeat of at least a couple four of or five years ago ones. And then there's the inflatable Godzilla. Yeah, and that one and there's looks basically like, the same. <clears throat> so yeah. So that's that's it. But yeah, and um, I, for those of you who haven't dug the toys, I posted uh, some photos of, of some of those toys um, a few weeks back. And you should be able to find them. I think even bloodydisgusting.com uh, leaked a, a number of them. Even the, I think it's the Neo Monster Island page on Facebook even has uh, some more updated photos. But I tell you, I am really stoked. I was hoping, keeping my fingers crossed, hoping that we would not only get figures like we did four years ago, well, almost five years ago, actually now, mm-hmm. um, but that we would maybe get more. And it seems like we're going to maybe get more. The thing that sucks, though, Toys R Us is no longer around. Yeah, the only way to get it is either through Walmart or Target or some of the other places. Uh, hey, obviously, Zilla, Amazon. Zero joined us. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You were saying, Jason? Oh, I was just saying that... Uh, obviously the only places that we can get the toys as of right now with Best Buy, uh, not Best Buy, Toys R Us being out is obviously Walmart, Target, and Amazon, obviously. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't, uh, as far as that King Ghidorah one, that seems to be a bit strange, the costume one. It does, but at the same time, it makes a lot of sense from an execution standpoint as well. I'm doing very well. Thank you, Zilla. But, uh, yeah, right now, right now, it's uh, pretty cold up here. And uh, <laughs> still some snow. Are we breaking up on your end, Zilla? Because it seems like at least on when Jason and I are talking to each other, we occasionally break up. I don't know how this is being received on your end, but yeah, just kind of want to know, letting you know ahead of time, just in case one of us has internet issues. Well, I know that we have the live YouTube page on our end, just to just to see how it looks. So, um, although. It's, Maya and I got to cover it up with with our actual uh, feed right here. So yeah, choppy sometimes. Doggone it, that's what I was afraid of. Someone has bad internet. I don't know who it is. Yeah, maybe it's not. Maybe it's our devices. Because like I was saying, my computer for like the last month, occasionally in certain parts of the house, has been dropping the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, unless there's something else you want to add about the king of the monsters merchandise we can just go ahead dive right into godzilla versus king Ghidorah. yeah as far as the merchandise i think they're essentially somewhat bringing out uh the same things that they did uh close to five years ago mainly the 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 godzilla sculpture however obviously bringing out uh new monsters uh and uh Ghidorah, Mothra, and Rodan. But 
Yeah, I think with uh, with the amount of more monsters in this uh, go uh, in this uh, time around, I think it's going to potentially give them uh, more coffers in their uh, bank account. Uh, whereas last time they only maybe had was it the not only Godzilla but the two Mudos in there and then a few other basically the same figurines and other merchandise that they have uh, I would like to see as far as the sculptures on such as the masks and everything that you showed that I wonder if they must might have uh, tweaked a little bit of the the face sculpture as well as maybe some of the pattern designs on one of those uh, that blow up costume and some of the other costumes that they have but um as, as far as i can tell from what i've briefly seen there it's almost uh the same sculpture uh design of godzilla mm-hmm yeah but uh other than that i can't really think of anything else all right well then with that we will dive into 1991's godzilla vs king Ghidorah. um again this will be spoiled so if you haven't seen it uh, i would suggest you turn off your podcast now or uh just turn off the feed and we'll get into the discussion here so i will start off with a plot overview and we will get right into our discussion so Three individuals named Emmy, Glenn Chico, and Wilson arrive from the 23rd century warning Japan that if something isn't done about Godzilla, he'll completely destroy Japan. They devise a plan, meaning the Futurians, to go back to Lagos Island during the end of World War II, where Godzilla was first seen by mankind as a Godzillasaurus, and to remove him from history via teleportation. They go back in time to Lagos Island, where the Japanese are rescued from an American charge on the island by Godzillasaurus. Our heroes meet a younger Shindo, who is a wealthy businessman in the modern day. After the battle, uh, the badly battered Godzillasaurus is teleported to the 20th century as a Godzillasaurus. It is believed that Godzillasaurus will not turn into Godzilla as a result. Miki, however, notices the three dragon-like pets of the Futurians, the Dorats, are missing, and the crew travels back to modern times. Emmy gets too cozy with our protagonist, Terasawa, for Wilson and Glenn Chico's comfort. They send their android, M11, to spy and capture the two. It's quickly revealed the Futurians lied about Godzilla and Japan's demise. Instead, Japan is the wealthiest and most powerful nation in the 21st century. Wilson and Glenn Chico reveal that the Dorats replaced Godzilla and fused during the post-World War II nuclear bomb test to become King Ghidorah. With Godzilla gone, Ghidorah will now destroy all of Japan and prevent them from being a world power. However, it's discovered the location where the Godzillasaurus was placed contained a large amount of nuclear waste, and it evolved into Godzilla. Shindo's own nuclear sub even crashes into Godzilla, making it grow even larger than before. I'm realizing this is more of a synopsis than a plot overview, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> Emi, Terasawa, and a reprogrammed M11 take down the Futurians and Godzilla battles King Ghidorah, blowing off its center head and destroying its wings. The kaiju falls into the ocean and Godzilla blasts a Futurian ship before going on a rampage. 
ME and M11 return to the 23rd century and use the remains of Ghidorah to build Mecha King Ghidorah. They travel back to the 20th century and ME pilots the mech in a final confrontation with Godzilla. Godzilla is dumped into the ocean, but not before it badly damages Mecha King Ghidorah. Both kaiju fall into the ocean. Emmy escapes and tells Terasawa they're related before returning back to the 23rd century. At the bottom of the ocean, Godzilla awakens and blasts his beam and roars once more as the movie comes to a close. Uh, Brian. Okay, we'll call you Brian from now on, Zilla. <laughs> we'll call you Brian, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, anybody who's been sort of a, a longtime listener of the podcast knows I've had a weird relationship with this movie really for almost 21 years now. Um, and the reason for that being is because I think a lot of it has to do with a couple of things. One thing is the tone. And that is it's very much wackier and lighthearted mm-hmm. uh, than the two movies we just got out of, The Return of Godzilla and Biolani. Um That's part of it. I think another part of it, too, is the fact that the story also takes a more, um, I guess, maybe a, a less sort of grounded, I put that in air quotes, approach. Yeah. Um, which is fine, but all of that stuff, along with maybe a few other things, is sort of whiplash-inducing, considering that when you I come think two films that are dark in tone and try to ground themselves more in reality, it, at least for me, it creates a situation that I think it's sort of hard to grasp. It's not like some franchises where they get a little crazier and wackier over the course of... Uh, several films um like for example maybe the batman series of films the the original quadrilogy of films in the Mm -hmm. 90s um this one it almost jumped just immediately one movie after biolani it gets lighter in tone and then all those other uh reasons that i stated yeah it sort of throws me off a little bit. Yeah, the the color tone for it too seems to be a little bit more washed out and a little bit grayish, sort of speak. Yeah, I think, I think it's uh, the way that they had some quite a bit of the settings uh, when it came to the UFO setting, and as well um, before, during, and after the uh, the. Uh, the first battle between Godzilla and uh, Ghidorah, and as well as uh, the final battle, and I, yeah, it it has that different color tone compared to the other two. Whereas it, uh, of course, ties into those previous uh, prequels, as you say, with this movie. And the other thing I noticed is that uh, one of the shots that they had is when they had uh, the uh, television uh, crew members, you know, talking in a a new studio. And then they had like these uh, bars, like black bars and stuff going across like an old uh, television set and watching that on my 4k tv it just it just really uh my eyes just got really weird adjustments to it especially after that entire scene was uh, completely finished yeah well 
and I'm, I'm trying, I don't want to try to show my hand too much about this movie because, um, cause I remember we did a commentary on it. Gosh, I want to say it was, it was the, one of the first commentaries I think we did, I want to say it was maybe late 2013. We did. Yeah, it was many uh, years ago. Commentary on it. And then after we got done with the commentary, we gave her final thoughts on it. And I remember saying, actually, I like this more than I thought I would. Yeah, I still have a few issues with it, but by and large, I enjoy it. But then, of course, over the years, I've continued to watch the movie and I still uh, have issues um, with it. But at the same time, there are things about it that I really do like. Um, One of the things, though that I think is a problem with this film are some weird and crazy shots. And yeah. some of those shots, for example, involve Robert Scott field during the car chase scene where it looks like he's on a particular platform, excuse me, to make him look like he's running at a very high speed. Mm-hmm. And there's some weird camera angles in that same chase scene um, that almost at least when i watch it give off the idea that we're supposed to look at this as maybe a comedic scene and to add insult to injury in my opinion um it it it, to add insult to injury i almost think ifukube's music for that particular scene makes it seem wackier than it should be Mm -hmm. um because i remember uh you and I would always laugh at this particular s- sequence in yeah. the movie. We would even make fun of it when we were growing up and because I- they would have this close close-up shot of Robert Scott Field with the film sped up, making it look like he's running, and he's you know because he's playing an android, you know he's you know very stoic in in expression. And it's the same um, way when they're back in time there, but they use a uh what would you say a dummy version like a life-size dummy version of robert scott fields and then another thing too i'd say adds a little bit more of the weirdness to this movie is some of the sound effects uh yeah that they use uh for certain um I would say explosions maybe or running or jumping, uh, those sorts of things. Yeah. And again, that goes back to what I was starting off this discussion saying that it's such a weird shift. It's such a major shift in direction coming after we come off of two, you know, relatively quote unquote realistic uh, films where the story tries to be a little bit more believable. And then all of a sudden you jump into time travel and you jump into incredible high tech equipment and, you know, mechs and all sorts of stuff like that. And like I said, it's whiplash inducing. But even then, let me just hype it. Let me just go ahead and say, okay. Let's just pretend um, Biolane and Return of Godzilla never happened. And we just pretend like maybe this is the first movie in the Heisei era. Mm-hmm. Because this is how I viewed it back in 1998 when we first saw this on home video. 
I had not recently seen Bailane, nor had I seen 85 or Return of Godzilla even remotely close to that first time I saw this film. And even then I remember, because this was the first Heisei era we watched from our new batch of Godzilla videotapes when we came home for vacation that summer. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there and when the movie was over, I remember looking at you and I was going, that actually was weirder than I expected it to be. And you were going, yeah, it seemed different. Yeah. And over the years, I've been trying to sort of figure out why that is. And yes, some of it is obvious in terms of maybe like you were saying, sound effects. Some of it too, I think is, um, you know, tone. Some of it I think is camera angles and maybe choice of music in certain places as well. Um, But I'm going to throw something out there that I think really, in my view, sort of explains the weirdness of this whole film and the fact that I think on one level it's really good, but on another level it's really bad. Mm -hmm. And that is the human sequences are terrible and the kaiju sequences are actually great. You know, I was just I was somewhat thinking about it could be the the human element of uh, of the the, uh, the film. It's a little bit weird because most of the things that have occurred that were pretty weird are in the uh, the human uh, story of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts? Uh on it brian like what are your thoughts uh, uh like do you do you see something similar to what we're seeing or do you see it differently like kind of what are your thoughts on, on and uh our sort of theory i guess here and i know that uh one of my uh, things i mentioned about in the previous episode that as far as the visual fix on gazelfer's Bailani went and how that aged pretty well over the years, except for maybe a couple little areas. However, when it came to this movie, and after seeing it on a, a newer TV and on the Blu-ray, it's, the visual effects on it haven't quite aged as well compared to, I would say, both The Return of Godzilla and Godzilla vs. Biolane. Okay, hold on to that thought because you hit something that I do want to discuss as well. Uh, so Brian disagrees, saying that Shindo did a good job, but by and large does think most of the human interactions were bad. Yeah, I want to clear something up, though, too. I guess I should have, because I even have it in my notes here. I just, my notes are haphazard. I didn't organize them properly for this particular discussion. But yes, you bring up a good point, Brian. Like, there are some uh, actors that are good. Um, um, and pardon me, I'm wiping my nose on camera. Yeah, uh, there are some good actors here. The unfortunate thing, though, is I think a lot of the good actors in this film are the actors that play a much minor role, like Shindo Yoshio Suchia, who plays mm-hmm. him. Um, and then I'll, I also think Mickey is good in this movie, but the problem with her is she's hardly in this film. Um, and I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Is I would also any- have to say Kenji Sahara as well. That 
Kenji Sahara. Yeah, yeah, he's even less in the film than those two that we just mentioned. Oh, you also found the monster battles a little lackluster. Please explain that. I, I don't think they're the best in this in the series. I would um, I would say that probably my only gripe is as far as the monster battles go in agreement with Brian here, I would say there wasn't really much combat. It, it was just more or less uh, shooting out their beams or atomic rays and the like. And I would say it was a little bit short uh, when it comes yeah. to, to these uh, two battles that they had. It's similar to Biolane, but at the same time, I have to say that um, I found the battles here between the two kaiju anyways more interesting. This movie, to some degree, sort of reminds me of Biolane with um, the kaiju stuff in that you have an early fight. Um, Godzilla's opponent gets defeated and is supposed to come back stronger a, a second time and final time. And then in between those two fights, Godzilla goes on a rampage. Uh, I, I mean, most of the time they were just standing firing their. Yeah. Beams. It's basically, yeah, basically what I mentioned. Yeah. And you don't hate the battles. You just think they could have been better. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. think that way. I think I'm a little torn. Cause I know some, uh, well, I don't want to say some, I know a lot of fans who, um, they're, one of their major criticisms of the Heisei era is are the battles. They call them kind of the beam wars. Um, as a kid, though, I loved the beam stuff because one of my complaints as a kid, because I grew, mostly grew up on Showa films most of the time, one of my complaints as a kid was, Godzilla's not firing his beam, uh, you know, as much. And, you know, I was an eight-year-old kid. Um you know, didn't know any better, didn't know anything about like storytelling and and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But as I got a little bit older and started seeing some of these Heisei films, I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool. And then as I got older and people started pointing out, you know, most of the battles in the Heisei films involve beams of some sort or projectiles. And I go, yeah, like there's very little hand-to-hand combat in these films. And a lot of it has to do with how the suits were made. A lot of the suits were incredibly bulky or stiff and some of it has to do with kaiju design too like look at destroya for example the real small arms that are practically like right up to the chest and then space godzilla too with those huge crystals like the arms are shortened down you know a little bit further on the uh, torso there um part of it is design of, of these kaiju um as well uh yeah i I'm kind of in the middle of that. I I don't mind the firing of the beams, but at the same time, yes, I would like more hand-to-hand combat. I will say this, and of course we'll get to this in a couple of weeks when we discuss it, but Godzilla vs. Mothra, I thought, did something that was incredibly goofy and something that they shouldn't have done, which was give Mothra beams. Um, That, especially coming out of her antenna, I thought that was really goofy and ridiculous but we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks um but yeah i sort of am in between on the whole beam wars uh you know hand-to-hand combat sort of thing um but yeah you were talking about special effects here a bit ago Mm -hmm. Um, 
I tend to agree. Now, granted, a lot of times when it comes to Academy Awards, a person or a movie or a group of individuals, they're sort of compared to other uh, competitors in those awards, which I understand. But at the same time, like we discussed a couple of weeks ago with Bailani, how the effects in that film were so great, and even the effects work in Return of Godzilla was so great. And then, um, and then Kawakita wins a Japanese Academy Award for his effects work on this film. I will say this uh, about Kawakita's work for this film. I think the miniature work is really good. I still don't think it's as good as the previous two films, but it's still yeah, it's, good. It's seemed, as far as the miniatures go, like the buildings and such, it seemed a little bit more flat and it seemed uh, not uh, detailed as well uh, compared to when you see both the Return of Godzilla and uh, Godzilla vs. Biolane. Yeah. I like the horn thing too. Yeah, in the early form. Yeah, the the destroy is really that's a fun film. I I can't wait to talk about that. That's one of my favorites. Well, and I practically gave away <laughs> that film, but, but yeah, like I think his effects work is still pretty good for this film. Um, my end, the ending battle to this film, I think, is actually it's not the most impressive thing I've ever seen, but it is still pretty impressive mm -hmm. i think the kaiju suits look pretty good um king Ghidorah, though when flying still seems kind of stiff although it gets worse later with um like batra and rodan um, in and films and when it came to when you see uh Ghidorah's tail when he flies and everything it hardly moves it's like in this uh, wavy <laughs> type of thing it doesn't even move at all yeah, um, but I'd, if you're looking off of the, the suit design, so I think both, well, technically three if you count Mecha King Ghidorah, I think the um, suit designs of all three are amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can, um, you can sort of uh, critique their actual movement. That's a different thing. In terms of design, I think they're wonderful. And I think the set work is pretty good here too uh again it kind of looks a little dated in spots but by and large it holds up okay yeah. but there were things like i thought some of the digital effects work like the 3d hologram of the um godzilla source and the ship i thought looked dated um yeah, Some, a lot of the visual effects are pretty dated in it. And they were like sparklers. It was obvious sparklers were be, being used um, for certain moments inside the Futurian ship when Emmy and Terasawa and M11 were trying to uh, make their assault. Uh, it just seemed too obvious that sparklers were being used and not sparks were coming out of control panels or whatever. Mm -hmm. It seemed to me that sort of thing was lazy. Um, but yeah, like, oh, you don't like the Space Godzilla suit. That's interesting. I kind of like that one. We'll have to discuss that one here in a few weeks. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. But yeah, like the sparkler stuff. I just thought by and large, his digital work was not as good in this film. A lot of his practicals, though, I thought by and large were pretty good. Not the best, but I thought they were 
pretty good for the most part. Gone, sadly, though, again, with the exception of part of the final battle, gone are a lot of the real intricate-looking skyscrapers um, and the like uh, that we got in Return of Godzilla. We didn't get as many in Bailani, but I think we had more there than we do here. Um, yeah, I think as far I know I mentioned about as far as some of the many chairs being a little bit uh, flat and not as well detailed. I did forget that um, the part when Godzilla was in Sapporo, uh, the miniatures in for that uh, scene there, I think was was at least in my opinion better than I think when it came to the final battle where. Uh, when they had the the Tokyo government building, and then I forget the other uh, building, but it has it's kind of like this uh, step type of uh, skyscraper. But uh, yeah, I think the miniatures in the Sapporo uh, scene I think were much better compared to what we saw in the final battle there. But uh, don't get me wrong, as far as some of the uh, effects and some of the suits, I uh, I kind of have a, uh, a little bit of a dislike when it came to certain shots when they had Godzilla. It seemed like one of his uh, right uh, like uh, eyebrows or something was a little bit heavy and was kind of going over his uh, right eye there and uh, one in a few shots, but uh, yeah, I would have to say the Sapporo scene miniatures, I'd say, were a little bit better than the the Shinjuku final battle there. I think the reason why you think those Sapporo miniatures look better is because of the lighting. There's not as much lighting. And therefore, there isn't as much light to sort of like with the final battle, because even though I think the final battle is done really well with the miniatures, at the same time, I have to agree. Yes, like when some of those skyscrapers fall, it almost looks like those 3D puzzles of buildings that they. Yeah, that's that's where I was getting at. Uh, But the other thing that uh, I was talking about is that the Sapporo miniatures, I think have a little bit more detail in their buildings and obviously the uh, the Sapporo uh, TV tower that they have there whereas in the uh, Tokyo government center and some of the other buildings around Shinjuku it seemed a little bit uh, flat just like a uh, a 3D puzzle yeah I mean I can understand that I still think lighting might have to do something with that because even though I do enjoy the look as far as um how it's constructed in the final battle with the buildings and and the surrounding scenery um i do have to agree it does look a little flat but again i think maybe lighting has something to do with that maybe there's just too much lighting um on the set for for something like that because um they always say like with CGI and I haven't spent as much time to really confirm or to deny it, but they, a lot, they, a lot of times will usually say like, if you have, um, CG creatures or beings or whatever, a lot of that stuff looks better when it's filmed with not a whole lot of light than if you have a lot of light. 
Um, like I said, I haven't paid as close attention to this stuff over the years to really confirm or deny it. But um, some people think that's the case with when it comes to CGI creations. Um, but yeah, I almost wonder too, like in the case of the miniatures for this film, if that could even be the case as well. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But yeah, it's again i i still think it's good it's not the best we've ever seen not just in this era but throughout the franchise but i still think it's still pretty good for the yeah. most part mm-hmm. um i i can't help but to think of this every time i watch this movie but doesn't glenn chico remind you of larry from the three stooges yeah he sort of does the way um his appearance uh the way that he has his appearance and then maybe sort of in the face and uh, I think he was a little, little bit uh, ball kind of right around here, but he still had yeah a good, a good portion of hair there, but far more in the facial structure. Now that you mention about it, it kind of does look like uh, Larry from the three stooges there. Yeah. Yeah. Random's what I'm about. I couldn't help. I'm a huge fan of the Stooges. And like, that was the first thing that came to mind when I saw this movie many years ago. I'm like, he's, his hair is sort of like extra tufted on either end a little bit, but yeah, he's like a little bald up near the top too. Yeah. And then that uh, Wilson guy, he kind of, he reminds me of uh, someone else, but I can't quite remember who though. But uh, he he has that um, kind of that oh that sort of look in his face in a way I I can't describe it but yeah he he also reminds me of someone else the way he talks and I'm not trying to be political here but the way he talks reminds me of Donald Trump because Trump always like curls his lips like when he makes certain words and Wilson sort of does the same thing here like when you really pay close attention to how he speaks like he'll really like fish face some of his words yeah it's really interesting yeah I haven't quite paid attention to that part yeah well and in this film they talk about how Japan you know, was supposed to be this economic superpower uh, going into the future. And in reality, back around this time when the movie was being produced, uh, many economic uh, forecasters were projecting that Japan, yes, was going to be uh, pretty much the wealthiest nation eventually on the face of the planet. But uh, this movie sort of dates itself because that never happened. <laughs> and and that was right around happened. the time the uh, economy sort of uh, went in the dumps a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, kind of like everybody, like when economies around the world started to collapse around the early 2000s, Japan's economy was actually starting to go down the dumps like a couple of years before that. Uh, there are many reasons as to why part of it is their fault. Part of it is also like a world economy uh, situation as well. But yeah, it it's interesting how such a thing never actually occurred. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, they were rah-rah Japan. And then like 
nine years later, oh, it's <laughs> <laughs> not the case. No, but yeah, it's it's at least interesting in how they portray, portray Japan uh, in this movie, as far as how it became basically a superpower, even far surpasses this. Uh, was it United Nations like uh, organization uh, called uh, Earth Union? I think it was, and they pretty much uh, even the Earth Union can't even touch uh, Japan or anything. So that was just kind of on their own. Yeah, I mean it's a movie and it's fiction, but at the same time, that I think was very super patriotism <laughs> yeah. it's like, we're so rich nobody can do anything about it like I'm you can, like, you can okay, say it's something it's just a little too far you can say it's <laughs> uh somewhat like what that one movie that you always despise and you always have it in the background there on your shelf somewhat did mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but um Okay, one of my favorite scenes, and it's one of my favorites out of the entire Godzilla series because it's so, it's a couple of things. It's awkward, it's weird, and it's funny. But it's also a major plot hole in this film. And it involves this supercomputer the Futurians promised to give to Japan Oh, yeah. And it's mentioned once, and we only see it in one scene with Emi and Terasawa. And this computer is never mentioned again. But in this one brief scene, we see it. The computer doesn't even look that impressive. And the scene concludes with Emi and Terasawa staring at each other for one moment, no sounds or anything else. And then they're nodding their heads at one another. Um, (laughs) It is one of the goofiest things. This was another thing you and I always made fun of growing up. Like if there was this weird moment of silence in between us, you and I would go. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if that was intentional by director Omori's. Yeah, it, I don't know if that was intentional or if if the scene just went on so long that the actors were like, "Okay, we just yeah." That need- scene really didn't have much action or dialogue, to be exact. You don't remember that scene, Brian? It it is sort of not really a blink and you miss it, but it is a pretty short scene. It probably lasts. Gosh, it's, I don't know, maybe like thirty to forty five seconds. It's I would say it have to be a little over a minute though. It's right in the middle of the movie there. It's where they I think uh when uh Emmy going back and seeing it. It is a very quick moment in the film, but it's there. Yeah, it's when I think when Emmy uh leaves the the ufo or something i'm I'm not entirely sure but it's one of the scenes where they show that whole 3d uh like the two 3d rooms kind of going up like this and then zooming in on both of them yeah there's one of them rooms they show on the ship yeah and then one of them was that room that had the supercomputer in it and then uh emmy's 
I don't quote me on this one, but uh, Emmy says um, that they were going to give this computer to Japan and then they do that not thing <laughs> like well, several no, seconds like, after. Like they're showing this, you know, these two 3D rooms in the supercomputer and I'm going, okay, well, what are we supposed to do with this? And then she stops talking and then the camera starts uh, looking on Terasawa and Emmy and then it zooms in and they're looking down at it and then they both look up at the same time and <laughs> like it's about that long it's this weird awkward silence it makes no sense why would they nod at each other like yes and then and then yep. when they say that uh, they're going to give this computer to Japan and then uh, many scenes after that, they're in that room with that computer putting up uh, detonating devices or explosives in there. <laughs> you and then, then Terasawa says, film my day. <laughs> because it's, it's even goofier because it, none of it makes sense. They're nodding at each other. Makes no sense. It's like, okay, why are they nodding at each other? Are they nodding like, okay, that was something. Or it's just, it's so awkward. You, you have to go back and see it. It's at some, it's somewhere in the middle of the movie. And I can't remember exactly what scene it comes after, but it's one of the craziest, um, things that and then I also like the scene in a Godzilla film and then uh, I also like the scene where uh, Terasawa uh, M11 and Emmy are away from the supercomputer and then uh, M11 says uh, do it and then Terasawa has that detonator button it's like make my day <laughs> okay and there's another problem with this movie you just mentioned <laughs> I'm about ready to just break out laughing because now I'm starting to realize this movie's even more ridiculous than I thought it was. Um, another problem <laughs> with this film is it doesn't know what tone to even set outside the fact that in a general sense, it is lighter compared to the first two films in this era. It's a film that tries to be super serious, but then they do wacky shit like that. Yeah. Where my day and Terasawa has a couple other weird goofy moments. Like at the end of the car chase scene with M11, M11 picks up the front of the Jeep and Terasawa's like, what is he doing? And he takes off his sunglasses. And he's like, I'm going to go get that guy. <laughs> and then he starts getting ready to come out of his Jeep. And Emmy's like, no, you you know, he's stronger than you. And he wants me. We'll go back to the ship. Um, you know, stupid stuff like that. But then you have moments where it's supposed to be taken very seriously. Like um, when the battalion on Lagos Island, the Japanese battalion, they look over the really badly injured uh, body of Godzillasaurus and Shindo salutes and his eyes are teary. And then a while later when Godzilla's rampaging, he comes up to Shindo and they sort of share this moment mm -hmm. um, with each other, kind of like staring at each other like, oh yeah, I remember you. It's all over the place with tone. It's like, how, 
you you got to pick what you want to do. Do you want this to be some sort of wacky, lighthearted, don't take it so seriously type of film? Or are you trying to make it similar to the first two movies where, yeah, this is going to get a little intense at times? You can't have it both ways because it throws the whole thing off. That's another problem with this film is yeah. wants to do both. And it's like, you really can't do that. It's fine to have like the hobo guy in the return of Godzilla is funny, but you know what? That guy only lasts maybe no more than 30 seconds or so on screen. And, um, it's I I think anyways I'm trying to remember I think it's the only real moment unless you're watching the Americanized version then that's a totally different thing but if you're watching the Japanese cut of the film I think that's the only moment in the film that is comedic um, yeah otherwise it's, yeah it's not, it's all it's not that that scene with the hobo and everything it's not as wacky but at least it gives some comedic parts in the right places i think when it comes to a lot of some of these uh serious types of films and stuff they at least interject a little bit of comedy but they put it in the right places or at the right time yeah they don't sort of tell a bunch of jokes or they don't linger on a particular joke for too long a lot of that's just meant to give the audience a quick breather um you know in between maybe some intense moments in a film which is fine as long as you don't overdo it with the jokes or linger on something Mm -hmm. that's fine this movie it kind of does have these with that stuff and it's like okay where what are you tr- where are you trying to go with this it's 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 like it's just all over the place and then as you mentioned with uh when Godzilla first by Lonnie didn't gross enough in the uh when it was in theaters and stuff this is when uh Tokyo not Tokyo uh, Toho uh started coming in and the micromanage some of the stuff and i think this is somewhat part of that too is that it just seemed that whoever was uh doing the writing and stuff for toho trying to make this movie or whatever happened uh in the back scenes it, it seems that there is a whole lot of people in the same kitchen interjecting and interjecting whatever they want to put onto the script too many cooks in the kitchen yeah i just think um it's an interesting concept that they're doing with the time travel and let's just go ahead and talk about it i'm not i don't want to go into too much detail about it because there are sites and people out there who have done a better job of really describing a lot of the issues with the time travel in this film but i'm just going to say this it's a complete and total mess when you really think about the time traveling aspect involved with this film and yeah like for example the back to the future trilogy there are if when you really think about the time traveling in those films there are some issues involved Uh, with time travel there too but it's not as much of a disaster as it is here and it like one obvious point uh as that tells you that 
the time traveling aspect of the film is a mess is that after they transport Godzilla Saurus to the modern day and they go back, nothing has changed. People still have a memory of Godzilla. It's like, yeah. well, if Godzilla got, if the Godzilla Saurus got transported, then technically no one should know of a Godzilla. It should be King Ghidorah that they know. And history isn't even significantly altered. Like the self-defense force is still around and still have their own anti-Godzilla type super weaponry and all that. It just, it's lazy. And at the same time, bad writing when it comes to um, thinking about the time traveling aspect. When you if you sit down and I did this at one point, I sat down one of the watchings I had like two, three years ago on this film. And I really was like, I'm going to pay attention to the time traveling aspect and really see if it's as big of a disaster as people say it is. Cause I knew it wasn't perfect, but when I sat down to watch it and I started asking questions, I'm like, okay, well they did this. Now this should be the consequence of that action. And then, no, it didn't happen. And I'm just like, oh, no, like <laughs> this could be the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> when you watch this movie and you just give it the mulligan, though, of the time travel and you just kind of don't think about it, it's fine. But really, when you think about it, it is a disaster. The whole time traveling aspect of this film. It's right. Not and, done well. And just what I mentioned earlier, just as far as the story goes, it felt like there were too many cooks in the kitchen trying to come up with a bunch of stuff like one. Oh, let's start something, you know, in a serious sort of way, how this is going to go. And then another person just comes and is like, oh, let's let's make it funny here or something. And then and then like someone else is like, oh, hey, let's put in a. Uh, some time travels sort of uh shtick into the movie as well but then they don't really pay attention to uh things what they uh as far as the time travel uh, story goes that uh when x does this and uh then that sort of thing shouldn't have existed when they go back into the present time i'm going to say this I'm not a fan of the tone of this movie, nor am I a fan of the time traveling aspect of this movie. I think they're both problems or problematic, I should say. I'm going to say this. If you stuck a gun to my head and you said you can only have one, you can either have the weird tones or the time travel, what would you pick? And I would say I would rather have the weird tones. And I would redo the entire story. I wouldn't involve time traveling because, yes, the weird tones would still hurt the movie in some regard. But the time traveling aspect, I think, is what hurts this movie even more because it again, you're coming off of two films that are serious. And um, I weird tones are you saying you would keep the weird tones or you would uh get rid of the weird tones brian i think he's met, uh, thinking that he'll definitely keep the weird tones rather than the travel plot yeah i mean 
the weird tones, like I said, I mean, they can sort of hurt a film, but I think sometimes, oh, you would keep the weird tones as well. Yeah. I, uh, tones, if, if tones are sort of all over the place, they can hurt a film to a point, but I don't think they can, um, I don't think they can like cripple a film because when you involve certain elements of a story like time travel and the time travel element is a huge part of this story it's what brings king Ghidorah into fruition in this film and then all the other characters from the future involved in the story as well right and that i really think a better movie would have come out of this had they decided to not do the time traveling aspect keep it more grounded just even do something like again king Ghidorah. um uh yeah right brian because the time travel is an integral part therefore it should be well done exactly and it's not like what they should have done is just kept the whole king Ghidorah being a space monster i mean for crying out loud they were talking about Mothra and Batra going to outer space to stop this deadly comet in the comet in the next film, the very next year in Godzilla versus Mothra. Mm-hmm. They even show Mothra flying out into space, and they even show at the end of Biolane the the rose form, at least maybe it's Biolane's spirit. I'm still not quite sure on it, uh, floating out there in outer space. And then, of course, several movies down the road, you have. Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. So eventually you're going to space anyways. Why not just have Ghidorah be a space monster? Or or at least uh, what... Uh, Leave it as that. Don't even bother really trying to dig into... You could even say that there are Futurians in a different century that just sent Ghidorah back and um, you know, maybe do something like um you know, show parts of the Futurians in the future being like, oh, yeah, we're going to destroy Japan and all that. Then Godzilla fights King Ghidorah and all that. And then the Futurians are like flabbergasted and frustrated or whatever. And then that's the end of that. Or you could figure out some way of sending Ghidorah back into the future and he destroys the Futurians and that's that. That would be a tighter story. It's not exactly perfect. Or be Gloria. The disaster um, this is. Or do somewhat similar to what uh, the upcoming movie is doing where Ghidorah is frozen somewhere, but then like fell from space like eons or how many years ago, and then just somewhat go from there in a ways. Maybe as like a take take the the controlling mechanism part of the story of the Futurians and Ghidorah, but with maybe another uh, race or whoever would uh, control Ghidorah, be it as like some uh, super weapon or something to take over, try to uh, uh, capture Earth or something like that or what have you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or like I was just saying earlier, just even go back to him being a space creature. No real explanation, just... He's Ghidorah, he's a space creature, decided to come to Earth and destroy for whatever reason. Just He's just a bad monster. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cleaner than what we currently have. <laughs> but you know, it would say it'd be 
more simple and straightforward. Right. Now I want to touch upon something that I find to be almost vomit-inducing every time I watch this film. And it's something that I don't hear a whole lot of fans talking about, but I think they should because it's really weird. Emmy and Teresawa's relationship throughout basically this entire movie, we just assume Emmy is your typical future Japanese woman. Okay. And over the course of the film, it seems like Terasawa and Emmy have a thing for each other that they're really getting close. Like they, these two like are, you know, lovers. And then at the end, and this is another example of not so good storytelling because there was no hint of this coming. There was nothing that was building up to this in any way, shape or form. It just was spouted out there when she just says after the Mecha King Ghidorah battle, she goes, we're related. And I remember when I first saw this movie, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I really and then it's like, uh, you guys are supposed to be love interests. And she's like, we're related. I'm like, then what was all this weird stuff that you guys were kind of sending these and it, signals to each other? And in that, and in that scene, I think uh, Terasawa probably didn't even hear any of that. Just, right. just the way that it was it was set up to be that way i think to me it's it seemed like emmy was talking to herself and then uh terasawa was already outside just looking up and didn't even have any like sort of communication with her exactly there was no uh implic there was no implying that she had a loudspeaker outside the ship to where he could hear it or anything like that and i almost wonder if emmy was just trying to clear her own conscience or something (laughs) (laughs) making sure that she told her supervisor in the 23rd century look i mentioned it okay it's done (laughs) like (laughs) chance of this or something that like it's the weirdest and one of the grossest things i mean thankfully things don't get uber weird in the movie but you watch the movie and you think except except for that going to get together like except for that awkward linda Linda hamilton the first terminator film (laughs) or in that uh one scene that we talked about earlier with that uh awkward silence and Yeah, it's just like they look up and they lock eyes. <laughs> just like even right now, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable about it because it's not like I said. There's no real buildup of it. There's nothing. There's nothing that sort of hints or indicates, like like they talk about Terasawa writing this book about Godzilla. And all that. And if she knows that they're related, why didn't she come in? And then, like, one of the first things she said to Terazawa was, like, so awesome to meet you. Like, you're my distant relative and all that. Yeah. It's just, like, wouldn't you be saying that to someone? Be like, yeah, you're like my great, 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 great grandfather or something like that. You know, like. Yeah, you would you would have mentioned something about that right away but you not keep that a secret yeah it, they they just i think that's a really huge plot hole is with with the story is that they 
again, to me, it felt like there were just too many cooks in the kitchen just putting in a bunch of random crap into the story. Yeah, I just... Because I always thought to myself, and this is where my twisted mind goes sometimes. I I think both of ours. I thought to myself at one point, I'm like, okay, let's just say behind the scenes at some point. uh, And they'd be like, oh, yeah, we're related too. No biggie. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how she does it. It's just like, eh. Like, okay. Again, my weird and twisted mind is like, okay, behind the scenes, what if Terasawa was like, look, we've been hanging out together an awful lot. Let's let's get a little horizontal mambo going on. <laughs> and let's let's get a little bit serious here. Like, okay, there are two two ways this could play out. <laughs> One way is Emmy's like, oh no, we're related. And then Terasawa, rightfully so, would be angry and then he'd be like, Why didn't you tell me this earlier? And then what's her re- rebuttal for that? Nothing really good because, yeah, she screwed up on that. Or two, the awful the awful thing takes place. And then at the end, when they're lying together side by side, and then she goes, we're related. <laughs> like, like, oh. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like what the Brian says here. You can probably put that whole entire quote after that entire thing. It's like, oh, yeah, we're related too. No biggie. <laughs> Just, oh, like I want to throw up in my mouth almost like every time because I know what it is. And you watch the film and these two are like sending these vibes out to one another. Like you can tell he's attracted to her and she pull and she's the one who knows they're related. And, and like, she even kind of looks at him and acts around like that scene in the supercomputer. It looks like she's wearing no pants. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then another thing about this, and then another thing about this movie too, is that there's another girl trying to go after Terasawa yes. there. And now it makes it like a love triangle sort of thing. No, and, but it's not because again, there's bad writing. She yeah. disappears throughout three quarters of the film and she only comes back right at the end after Emmy says we're related. And oh boy, just some- She weird- magically appears. She magically appears and you know huddles up to Terasawa, puts her head on his shoulder and they look up in the sky as Emmy and M11 warp back into the 23rd century. Uh, yeah, by the way, we're sorry. Now you I can't get that out of your head. Brian, I'm really sorry, but you know what? We're on this podcast. We have to like try to look at this from a critical standpoint. And I'm sorry. That was an issue that I've always had with this film. <laughs> I'm sorry, but <laughs> sometimes it has to be said either because but it's there. It's there in the movie. I'm not making stuff up. <laughs> Sometimes we have to point certain things out and it has to be said no matter yeah, what. But this is, again, this is, um, and there are a lot of fans that love this movie. And again, you like what you like and that's fine. But I even wonder if people either notice this stuff or they sort of try to just ignore it. Um, I just don't know. It just it this movie. The more we've discussed it here, the more I'm realizing it's an even bigger mess than I originally 
thought. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, all these different things are going to play out in my head as far as the we're related. <laughs> all these weird things are just going to. Oh, let's move you know, to I, I'm, I'm surprised since we reviewed this movie before many years ago, I'm surprised both of us haven't really caught on to a whole lot of the things that we discuss about today. <laughs> Yeah, you never realize it, Brian. What? Bless you, <laughs> bless you. I mean, man, I just—that was one of the things I noticed the, within the first one or two viewings. I'm just—it's and it's bothered me ever since. And that's again one of the numerous problems I have with this movie. It just—I'm sorry, I probably forever ruined this movie for you. Um, but let's go on to a different topic. Let's get our mind off of weird, incestuous stuff here. Yes. Okay. Um, the music. The one thing we like just about forgot to talk about with Bailani, I did not forget here. Um, Ifukube's score for the movie, I think, is good. And it gives even uh, some nods to previous scores, like Destroy Monsters with the opening theme where we see the Futurian ship arrive in Japan. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have to say, though, uh, it's a really nice score. It's obviously his first score since doing um, Terramaka Godzilla. Um, It's a good Ifukube score, but at the same time, I have to say, kind of like Kawakita's effects work, it's good, but it's not his best work. And also, it still has some of his same traits within the scores, which you can definitely tell. If if you have listened to uh, Ifuku Bay's music. Yes, Brian. Yes. Yes, yes, Brian. We hope to see you there. Nice. Sorry. But uh, yeah, if you've listened to a lot of Ifuku Bay's music, over the years, and then compare it to the music that was scored for uh, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, you can still hear some of the same tones that he still uses in his music. But to me, I think uh, with him aging uh, in, in this time frame, I think he started to do a little bit of experiments and some of his music uh, all the way up until Godzilla vs. Destroya when he composed his last music there. And yeah, there's still some, some of the same tones in it, but you can definitely tell he's trying to experiment or improve on, on his uh, style of music. Yeah, I... It, I do have to say, though, too, like um, during that car chase scene, and I do think Ifuku Bay has to take a little bit of the blame for how wacky that whole sequence comes off because his music, like I said earlier, makes it seem like that scene is wackier than it really should be. Um, that particular music, while inappropriate, I think, for that scene, also harkens back to some of his earlier show work, not just in the Godzilla franchise, but even in other uh, kaiju and tokusatsu films uh, from Toho during the, the Showa era. Mm-hmm. 
I do think, though, uh, some of his all-time best work, and I haven't taken the time to sit down and really sort of uh, listen to all of his Godzilla scores, and I'm not even going to go into like his other scores like War of the Gargantuas and Frankenstein Conquers the World and all that. Um, that's a totally separate thing. Uh, but as far as Godzilla scores go, I do think uh, two of his best scores and i'm not necessarily saying they're like the all-time best but i think they're easily in the top five uh are his mechagodzilla 2 scores and uh destroya mm-hmm. yeah i think those are two of his best mm-hmm. uh, that he's ever done for the godzilla franchise and i also think his monster zero uh, scores is, is really good too the the monster zero and ghidra the three-headed monster scores are very similar there are some differences but i think the monster zero score is slightly better than that so yeah um and one of the last things i have on here uh we're gonna end my piece on a on sort of a slightly funny note i thought the fight involving emmy and tarasawa with wilson and glenn chico was laugh out loud funny because wilson and glenn chico can't even throw a punch without looking like noobs oh yeah (laughs) it's so funny they're trying to throw a punch and they just they don't they don't look like they even ever hit monster zero so over uh, so underrated i totally agree with you it's one of my all-time favorite godzilla films i think as a movie and even uh, as a score very underrated it's um it's it's a blast i even think sometimes if you've ever listened to the monster zero score by itself um i almost think in some cases it's almost a little bit better than the movie which is saying something i think that that goes to show you how how well that that score is but yeah glenn chico and wilson can't throw punches and And then uh whenever they i think in uh one of the shots there when terasawa need either uh wilson or glenn chico that they somewhat overplayed the uh, the impact of uh, getting need to the stomach there but uh, yeah, Futurians, they don't even know how to fight. Yeah, it's like, don't you guys have Mike Tyson's punch out or something like that? Like, I don't know. No, I think they just destroyed all, all that stuff. All the are on YouTube? Wow. I knew some of them were. I didn't know all of them were. That's awesome. Was it um, Toho Music has uh, been re-releasing uh the godzilla music in fact for godzilla's 50th anniversary you know well over 10 years ago they started re-releasing all the scores to every film up through uh final wars and you get a one or two bonus disc in each box and so over time as they released them i got all of them and then even in the last i want to say three to five years maybe they've even re-released other scores they've re-released the original mothra uh they brought back um war of the gargantuas frankenstein conquers the world i think even veron was re-released um i've even been able to locate uh like uh, the matango score um I mean, all that stuff. I mean, it's great stuff. Yeah, I know with the uh, with this 
year being awesome. I'll have to look that up, Brian. Thank you for that. Also, to anybody looking or not looking, but <laughs> listening to this on uh, any of our podcast uh, platforms, uh, go to YouTube, the Toho Society. Um, they have uh, those scores if you're interested in listening to that stuff. But uh, yeah, with uh, with us being the 65th anniversary of Godzilla, uh, I'm not sure if they're going to uh, release more of the scores. I know I've seen on the the official Godzilla store website, uh, the Japanese one, that they were releasing some pretty interesting figures, but it seemed a lot of them had to do with the Shin Godzilla one there. Uh, like some of the bigger sculptures, one that's sort of like my uh, trans, the red clear or translucent figurine that I have over here with my TV. And then there's another one that's full color with Godzilla about to shoot his uh, whole laser and everything. But I think, and then I think there were some other things that were pretty interesting, but uh, I'll have to take a look at that. Uh, Brian has a correction. He was saying Toho Society did more of the later stuff. There's another channel called Showa Music. So there you go. Toho Society for the later stuff and Showa Music for the earlier stuff. Thank you to Brian for that. I think a lot of people are going to be really happy about that because I know some people either can't afford... um, like some of those uh, uh, box sets or CDs and other people, some of them I, even at this point are kind of hard to find even. Or sometimes over over the years that the price will tend to go up. Well, those box sets, like with the exception, I think, of the final box, because that came out so late. Toho Music, for whatever odd reason, really took their time with that final one. Um they didn't go up in price by that much. Like, I think they only went up in price by 10, but I don't, I want to say between 10 to 15 bucks, they went up in price. Um, so it hasn't been too bad. And they, I think by and large have been at that same price for really the last decade. Um, because they were really late. Uh, it took them like three and a half years, maybe four years almost to get, all the box sets out and when they originally were bringing these sets out they were saying about every i think three or four months they were bringing out a new box and that was true like the the second box came out three or four months later but then the third box came out like five six months later each new box kept getting delayed further and further and it ended up being like almost four years i want to say till the sixth and final box was released i mean i would like to know what the reason was behind them doing that it was it uh trying to find was it hard to locate some of the tracks for these movies or was it had to deal with trying to negotiate something with these composers that have done the music for all the Godzilla films I don't think so because I think technically similar to I think it's how it's done here even in the US I think when a composer does work for a movie the composer i don't think owns that music uh i think the studio does um i think so um 
And that's probably the reasoning behind it. I don't know if they had issues sort of trying to clean up some of the tracks and transport them on the new CD. I don't know. But see, they already um, had released a lot of those scores on CD before, mm. like in the early 90s. So I don't know. You honestly like must... Masaru Sato stuff, Godzilla raids again in Mechagodzilla. I totally agree with you, Brian. You talk about underrated. I think Maestro Sato is totally underrated. Um, and then I think plus, I uh, about- Son of Godzilla, Megalon, and Sea Monster. Yeah, and raids again. Um, I and I mentioned this on a podcast within the last like few months. I want to say where. Um, um, I want to say that um, I mentioned it, but I think Sato actually has more range than Ifukube. And I know that's probably uh, going to make a lot of, um, you know, Ifukube fans uh, upset. And I like Ifukube, don't get me wrong. But by and large, with the exception of almost a couple of tracks each time he does a Godzilla score, it most of his music is kind of the same thing, maybe just tweaked a bit. Sato gives you something almost completely different every time. Like you listen to his Mm -hmm. uh, Raids Again score, it's totally different than what you get even on Ibra. Ibra is even different than Son of Godzilla. Um, He did not do Megalon, actually. Uh, That was Richiro Manabe. Uh, Manabe did the score for Hedorah. And so he was brought back to do Megalon. And in fact, with that film, because the budget was so incredibly small, um, they basically reused just about all of his music from Mega. I mean, excuse me, Hedora, and they only had him compose like a couple new tracks for Megalon. Um, so yeah, that was Richiro Manabe who who did Megalon. But uh, yeah, I think Sato is really underrated. I think he's really underappreciated. Um, I wish the Godzilla fan base um, really took more notice of, of Sato because he has greater range. He has more versatility in his music. That's not to say Ifukube doesn't, because um, when you listen to the, Di- I mean, excuse me, when you watch the Daimajin trilogy, mm-hmm. His music is different there, but at the same time, it's still familiar enough. Yeah, like I was going to say, it sounds it sounds different, but still has some of the same tones in in that music. Certain riffs, yeah, that you've heard of before, Um, but yeah, I just yeah, you you like Sato, yeah, Yeah. Sato. Uh, I I forget that one director um, who kind of came back uh, back and forth. John uh, Fukuda. Yeah, John Fukuda. I think he he also does uh, really pretty cool stuff. Whereas Honda, he kind of does some of the same uh, same sort of pacifist uh, sort of thing with his movies. Whereas Jun Fukuda. He does like a lot of at least some of the goes like space stuff and as well as some of the spy 
uh, sort of things too. Yeah, I mean, uh, Fukuda sort of repeats similar aspects of of what he because he did mainly a lot of spy films and thriller type films. That's where his background came from. So when you watch a lot of his films, there's a lot of similarities with each one, just like there are with Honda's. But yeah, Honda's movies definitely look more like other Honda films. Fukuda has some differences where you can sort of branch them off a little bit more, not by much. Ifukube has similar feels in your opinion. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. And and I and I'm not trying to um yes, Fukuda did do, do those three movies. Yeah. Um the, the interesting thing is, and it's in Steve Rifle's book, Japan's Favorite Monster, where he interviewed Fukuda. Fukuda never necessarily enjoyed doing kaiju movies. And in fact, when he did kaiju films, he never liked them. He, he always thought his films were um, just lousy. And part of it was, yeah, he was usually given the films with the smaller budgets. And so that hampered him quite a bit in terms of what he could do. Uh, but he just never thought highly of his kaiju work. And it's so interesting because there are a lot of us here in the States that look at his kaiju films and really enjoy them. Cause like you brought up Mechagodzilla that's a lot of people's favorite, that original Mechagodzilla film. And I think he did great work. But yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, trash on Honda or Ifukube here. I mean, I they, those guys did great work uh, and all that. That is awesome. The problem is, though, is that when it comes to kaiju films, and there are a few exceptions, like Han, Honda was given a few films that had lower budgets. Um, but... However, most of the kaiju and monster tokusatsu films he did had decent budgets attached to him so he could do a little bit more. Um, again, there are exceptions to that, like Terra Mechagodzilla. I, I, I would have to look it up, but I don't think its budget was... I think its budget was actually maybe even less than that of Mechagodzilla's. Um, um that stinks. He should be more proud. Mechagodzilla was your favorite as a kid. Yeah, I really liked Mechagodzilla as a kid, too. That was one of our first Godzilla films. I want to say, like, one of our first five or six films we saw. Well, uh, Sea Monster was our... It was our first, Obviously, yeah, our but, first one. But in the first, like, batch of five or six, I think Mechagodzilla was in there somewhere. But, yeah, I'm not trying to trash on Ifuku Bay or Honda. They, they did really good work. But... Um, I just really think people need to kind of look at, at uh, Sato's, well, you can't look at music. They need to listen to Sato's music and look a little bit more at Fukuda. In fact, out of the two guys, Sato and Fukuda, I think Fukuda has gotten a little bit more props out of the North American fandom uh, than uh sato has i think sato has been even more underappreciated than than fukuda but it i i just in general though i really think those two guys need to be saluted a little bit more for their work because they did do some real interesting work and good work at that uh, you know it may not necessarily it may not be your personal favorite but they still put their mark on the Godzilla character and they did it early enough in the franchise that some of those same beats have been repeated in future films. So 
to be honest, you love most of the Toho movies and their staff and cast. Unpopular opinion, I even have a special place for Revenge. I mean, I'm very similar, too. Um, Godzilla's Revenge is a film that is not for me. And every time I watch it, I can stand it only up to a point. And that's not because I think it's bad, but only because it's not a film that's made for me anymore. Uh, it's definitely a film made for kids about standing up for yourself. And uh, it's still a film, fun film for me to watch every now and then. Uh, it's just harder for me to watch anymore because I've... <laughs> I'm a 34-year-old man now. Uh, my son, though, I showed him that movie a while back, and he enjoyed it. So, you know, and that's made for, um, you know, kind of his age and a little bit older. So I think that's great, you know. Uh, but I don't think Revenge is a bad film. I think Revenge has some interesting um, themes through it. If, uh, you know, Brian and anybody else, you know, and I think you can still get this on Amazon right now at a okay price. Uh, get a book called uh, – it's written by David Callett. Um, and what is it called? Uh, hold on a moment. Yeah, I would I would definitely have to agree with you, Brian, on your recent comment that uh, Mania's voice is is a bit creepy in a way. Okay, so it's a book by David Callip, and it's called A Critical History and Filmography of Toho's Godzilla series. Uh, it's in its second edition, and I think it goes all the way up to Final Wars, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, Final Wars. So um, this is a really good book. This is uh, actually one of my top two favorite sort of um, Godzilla books. And Callet really was the first sort of major figure that I know of who talks about, like, how Godzilla's Revenge really is a dark film about a latchkey kid and how he's left alone and to fend for himself. And, you know, how scary is it that you have these two bank robbers, even though they're, you know, buffoons, but, you know, coming and kidnapping you and, and all that. Um, but yeah, it's, I think he's really the first major figure who's, like either said something or written something uh, about the Godzilla franchise that really is really defending Godzilla's revenge. And I watched the film shortly after reading that entry a couple of years back after I got the book and I looked at it through his lens and I realized, yeah, this, this is, you know, definitely a film where if you look at it through a different perception, uh, it's kind of a horrifying film, really, when you think about it. Mm. But, um, but yeah, like it's it's an interesting film. I, it, again, like I said, it's it's not necessarily for me anymore, but it's still fun to watch every now and then. You don't like the Japanese version? Minya's voice is a nightmare. I think I've only seen the Japanese version of it once, and I think that was like five years ago. And yeah, I remember. Yeah, just kind of like, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Whereas the uh, the English version of Mania's voice is a bit more buffoonish in a way. He sounds just—he sounds like a a little kid who rammed his head too much in, on a brick wall. It just. <sighs> Anyways, we want to go into final thoughts about King Ghidorah. Brian, while we're giving our final thoughts on King Ghidorah, we'd like to know your final thoughts on this film uh, as well. Um, so yeah, I'll go on my final thoughts on uh, Ghidorah, and with with this movie being made a couple years after Godzilla vs. Biolani being that of one of the better films of the Godzilla franchise. And then a couple years later, we get a film that basically has uh, dated uh, special effects that don't really translate well on Blu-ray or and or 4k uh tvs i will even i will even add an addendum to that and i will say it still hasn't even aged well on standard def (laughs) right and as well as the whole story of uh japan being the most powerful country (laughs) and uh and then the story just as i'm going to go back to it again it just feels like there was just too many cooks in the kitchen just you know dumping a bunch of random stuff there as much as they could get and it's and i think this is one of the main reasons why we have that uh weird uh relationship with this movie is just that the human part of the story really fluctuates like oh at one point it gets serious and that the other time it gets wacky or uh, crazy or trying to be funny in uh, sorts of areas and then uh, when it comes to the monster battles they're okay but uh, like what uh, Brian was mentioning earlier that it was a little bit of a lackluster and then uh, I think it was somewhat the beginning stages of the whole beam war uh shtick and the heisei uh era of the godzilla films and uh yeah just the human portions is just it's just kind of all over the place trying to figure out in a in a an identity which doesn't do that at all throughout the entire film just cannot seem to find its identity um but i do like the kaiju costumes or the suits in this one i really like the designs of both godzilla and Ghidorah. i think uh this uh kind of godzilla suit that they use for godzilla versus king Ghidorah. um i think uh was probably one of the lo- one of the ones I liked better and then uh the Ghidorah costume is pretty damn good for what it is and I think it's one of the inspirations for the the new uh Ghidorah for the upcoming Godzilla movie coming out here in a few months uh if you've seen pictures of that Ghidorah <laughs> And um, but yeah, uh, like what 
Brian was saying here, there are some good characters, uh, human characters uh, within uh, the story, but I would just say the uh, the script or the story that they went off of, it was it was something that they had to work with and it's just just all over the place. So um, as far as uh, Godzilla versus Ghidorah goes, for me, I would at least have to say a rent for this one. It's it's a movie that I would not see a whole lot, but I would like to at least go back to it once a while. Mm-hmm. Okay, it looks like Brian may still be writing, so I'll do mine, and then maybe um, there's also something while while you're doing your conclusion, Brian. You were talking about your top ten, and I don't think we ever saw your top ten because I know uh, a couple weeks ago when we did Bailani, you were saying it was just outside of your top ten. Um, I would like to know what your top ten uh, Godzilla flicks are right now, if you don't mind uh, doing that, starting from ten going down to one. Okay, so here's my final thoughts, and this is actually one of the longer conclusions I've written in a little while, so bear with me here. Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah continues to make me scratch my head 20 years after seeing it for the first time. Part of this film's oddness is due to the incredible tone shifts from the previous two movies into something that is more lighthearted and less serious with this film. While being less serious is not a bad thing, it's simply whiplash-inducing, considering it wasn't a gradual progression over a series of films. The acting and character development leave quite a bit to be desired. Mickey is the best character again, but she's barely in the film. Terasawa comes off as aloof and stupid. Emmy comes off as being in love with her distant relative and the smartest person in the cast. M11 always seems like he drank too much Red Bull. Wilson and Glenn Chico comes off as villains one would see from a Pee-wee's Playhouse episode. By the way, Robert Scott Field, I mean no disrespect when I said that. I blame the writers more than anybody else. It's frustrating and disappointing because some of the talent here could pull off better performances if they were given a better script and direction. The time-traveling aspect of the story is a complete mess, but if, you, but if you simply try to ignore it and give the movie that mulligan, it'll flow more smoothly and be less of a slog. The highlight of this film lies with the kaiju. Godzilla and Ghidorah look wonderful, although Ghidorah is too stiff at times. Their battles are entertaining, and the miniature work, while not as good as the previous two films, is still pretty good. Yufukube's score by and large delivers, but I can't help but to believe it makes some scenes like the M11 car chase scene goofier than they already are. Director Omori, I believe, hurt the film in some cases by putting in bad camera shots and angles, while also making certain decisions that made the actors look bad and parts of the film bad at large. An example of this is having Robert Scott Field on some moving platform to, to make it look like he's running at full speed. Outside of looking goofy, the other problem with this is it doesn't match up to with a couple of moments where the film is sped up as Robert Scott Field actually runs. In conclusion, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah is just an odd duck of a film. The human drama is underwhelming and poorly written, while the kaiju sequences are top-notch. It's a film that had so much potential, but wasted most of it. Its tone is far too light, coming off of two of the better Godzilla movies. 
Sadly, I still find Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah a lackluster film, and again, most of that being the terrible human drama. There are comedic moments that aren't funny and moments that are supposed to be heartwarming but don't work all that well due to a lack of, of a general tone Omori needed to establish but didn't. Outside of the kaiju action, it's a mess of a film that is one of the weaker entries in the franchise. It's only worth jumping to scenes involving the kaiju. Everything else is completely avoidable. Pass. Pass, wow. I had a difficult time uh, figuring out. I was thinking at best it was going to be a rent. Because like you, I, I think the kaiju action is uh, top-notch. But at the same time, I keep thinking about it. And this discussion has me more um, sort of, uh, it sort of confirms more of my stance on that uh, rating of the pass because like I was laughing earlier and I'm not laughing with the film when it wants me to. I'm laughing at the film. And if you're laughing at the film, that's not a good thing because like I said earlier, you and I in the past would laugh at the car chase scenes. We would laugh at the head nodding. Awkward silent nod. Yes, and I in the whole make my day thing, and I remember you and I uh, would laugh at Terasawa because the guy seemed totally stupid. The, the guy was aloof to a lot of things, and it's not. It's one thing if this were a comedy and that was supposed to be what you were doing, like M- uh, Monster X Strikes Back, for example, is one of those types of films, but. This movie isn't that. You're not supposed to laugh at the film. Mm -hmm. And all the other reasons um, we have discussed over the course of this podcast uh, are the reasons why I just was like, you know, I thought about a rent because, yeah, you can at least fast forward to the kaiju scenes. But even then, I'm like, you know, while they are very good, there's not a lot of them to even worth your time with it because it takes longer to load the dicks disc (laughs) (laughs) way to go ruined everything it takes longer to load the disc into your player (laughs) yeah load the dick into your player (laughs) disc into your player than it is watching all the kaiju scenes and I just got to a point where I'm just like, when I was writing this up yesterday and I was really giving it a good thought, um, I just was like, you know, the kaiju scenes really are good, but there are so many human drama scenes in this movie. And the sad part is, is that outside of a couple minor characters that are barely in the film, it's not that good and um anybody out there uh who likes this film i'm not saying you have to be madly in love with it but if you're someone who likes it to someone who is madly in love with it like it's maybe in your top three godzilla films i really want to know um why why it is in your 
one of your favorites, at least in the top half of the Godzilla franchise, because uh, this always ranks near the bottom of my list. Thankfully, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah has something going for it, and that is it's not Shin Godzilla, and I will just leave it at that. <laughs> but, by by um, the way, uh, since I know you did your uh, top Godzilla film list at the end of the last year, uh, what was what was the rank that you had uh, Ghidorah at? I have to pull it up. I want to say I had it third to last, I think. Um, in the past, it's been like down near the bottom. Let me go find it. And then, by the way, Brian uh, put in his uh, yeah, I here. stuff here. Let's see. What episode was that that we had the year in? What was it, like 121? 128. It can't be 128 because we're already at 124. Well, I'm going to see. If oh, not, not. I thought you meant. Uh, shit, I was thinking of the, the date. Uh, no, it's not 120. It had to have been. It, I think it was uh, 121. That's what I'm thinking. Let's see here. Yep, year end episode. So we're scrolling down to my rankings. Oh, actually, I had it much higher up. But, of course, that's what I felt at the time. Where is it? Oh, shoot, I had it at... Okay, so let's see. Let me count it. It's actually not near the bottom. Of course, I hadn't seen the movie quite... Well, actually, yeah, I did on El Rey, but I didn't... I think I only saw it once. It's one, two, three... Um, shit, I lost my spot. <laughs> Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I got it at 17th. Uh, That's still in the bottom half, but nowhere near the seems, bottom like I usually have it. To me, I think that's a little too high for it. It is. Well, and like I said, my list always changes. Um, it depends on my mood and like just recently watching the film now and actually viewing it with a slightly more critical eye because that's what we should do um, with with something like this is try to be as objective as possible but at the same time still trying to be big enough fanboys to celebrate the franchise as at, at large um, you know when I look at it more with a critical eye I'm like ugh to me, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah is the type of film that is good when you're around friends because then you can have a really laughing good time at it and oh, maybe yeah. create a funny drinking game out of it. Um, but uh, other than that, yeah, so let's read Brian's uh, stuff. Let's see. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. Uh, Brian writes of Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, I think it's okay. Nowhere near my top ten, but at least... It tried to do something different, albeit failed. Five out of ten. Shindo was his favorite character, and the kaiju costumes were good. Uh, the idea was good, they just didn't do it well. In his top ten, here we go, uh, favorite Godzilla films. It starts uh, from one going down to ten. It's Gojira, uh, Mechagodzilla, the first one. Return of Godzilla, GMK, Monster Zero, 2014, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Destroya, 
Tokyo S SOS and then Final Wars. Odd list, but that's how I feel. You you like what you like. I mean, your list is the kind of list that I like because so many fans that I've either heard in person or I've seen online uh, have lists that are so similar, if not identical to one another. Um, and like I was saying a moment ago, anybody who likes King Ghidorah, this film that we just discussed, I really want to talk to someone like that because, um, because, you know, I don't necessarily, I don't see why so many people in North America think it's good. I think one thing to be quite honest with you, and I don't mean to sound cynical, but I think there's some legitimacy behind this theory is that because Robert Scott Field has been a constant figure at GFest over the last, like, for many like, years, at least 11, 12 years or something like that, that I yeah. think because those who go to GFest every year or often and see him, you know, they get warmed up to him and the work he's done, which is fine. But at the same time, I wonder if that sustains with people over time, like in the months when you are done with G-Fest. Um, and it just, um, I really want to know from people why they like some of the movies the way that they do, because I really want to know, because from my standpoint, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah is a huge mess of a film and one that really should not be a favorite amongst most fans, especially when you view it with a slightly more critical eye. And I mean, if it's one of those guilty pleasures, then that's fine. Cause I think a guilty pleasure, it tells people, I understand it's not good, but I like watching it for, you know, insert entertainment value reasons here, because I really want to try to understand people and where they come from. Like uh, on your list, let's see here. You have GMK up there. GMK's, near the bottom of my list and so like with gmk i want to understand why you would have that uh final wars final wars is also near the bottom of my own list uh as well and i would like to understand why like i just try to i want to try to understand why people stand the way they do uh, for some people's nostalgia like for me for example uh ibera is one of my favorite godzilla films it's not my absolute favorite but it's near the top for me and that's only because it was the first Godzilla movie I ever saw so I have some nostalgic yeah. uh, feelings for it and I understand mm -hmm. and understand why some fans don't why a lot of fans just kind of skip over that one because it is by and large at least from a kaiju standpoint an underwhelming uh, film and um, but yeah uh, there's something about GMK you don't know why and Final Wars is nostalgia. Yeah, I mean, again, you like what you like. And uh, Final Wars was one of those that um, I knew when I first saw it back in 05 when it came out on a DVD here that I was disappointed in from the get-go. And as the years have gone on, I've watched the film more um you know, uh, it just has continued to drop further on my list. The only one time in which I looked at Final Wars in a very positive light was when we did a commentary on it with Zero One Publishing, uh, Kat Roca, Josh Finney, and I think even Patrick McAvoy 
Yeah, I think all three of them were on there. All three of them were, I think. And I remember Josh was the one who suggested the film because he was saying it was, uh, I think he, and I don't remember this, so don't quote me on it, but I think he might have said it was a guilty pleasure for him that there was, that because the movie was so delightfully screwy that you can't help but to fall in love with it. Uh, I think those were his words. Again, that's been, gosh, like three or so years ago. Hard to believe. Um, but yeah, like we have that episode uh, on our site. Uh, check it out. It actually was a, a fun time, actually, because I, as I was watching that film and we were doing that commentary, I actually was like, man, you know, maybe I have been a little hard on Final Wars. Well, then I've watched it, you know, a handful of times since then. I'm like, nope, <laughs> not for me. I just, I can't get into it. Um, but yeah, so. Um, unless there's something anybody has to add, uh, I think we can yeah. close out this podcast. Yeah, I uh, can't really think of anything else off the top of my head other than this movie is just a total kind of a wacky sort of a movie. I have been going back and forth over the last couple of days. I'm like, what do I think is the worst Heisei film? And, you know, a lot of people, um, you you wish uh, we would do it more often, though. You know we're busy. Are you talking about commentaries? Is that what you're referring to, Brian? Um, but I know a lot of people, they crap on Space Godzilla, and Space Godzilla has its problems, and we'll be talking more about that here in a few weeks. But um, I, um, I, I, I've i watched it, you know, over the last few years, and I'm like, you know, it, it's not – it doesn't have uh, – oh, just live stream in general – yeah, I mean, that's one thing, you know, initially when we started this podcast, gosh, like nine or so years ago now, we were doing a podcast one every week. We weren't live streaming it, though, but um, we did one once a week and it got to a point where we realized not only because of our own busyness, we actually got burnt out, uh, not just in general, but burnt out even on Kaiju uh, pretty quickly. And we realize that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want yeah, you don't, you don't want that joy because then yeah, you're just where, like you know you're just gonna be like yeah because there's mech godzilla 2 the heck with it <laughs> like you just don't want to bother with it or or is that uh there were at least a couple points where we were off for about a year year and a half or at least several months where uh we were burnt out before those uh breaks that we had well, yeah, and that was a problem because we were doing it so often. We were taking extended breaks, and the problem with that is that you can't build, you know, a following uh, or anything like that. So yeah, you got that's slightly that's consistent. Yeah, that's one thing that I would have to say is somewhat hurt us a bit. And then, as well as we've changed our name a couple times. That's been part of the problem too, yes. We're at first, you know, we were Plan X Control Room where we were on the godzillaplanet.com and then just solely Plan X Control Room. And then uh, uh, several years ago, we changed to what is now the Daikaiju Network. So that's also kind of what has hurt, hurt us too. Yeah, but 
I think we're doing better. I, I think we, the only breaks we have taken were when my kids were born and then any one of us that has moved. And then we usually take like three to four weeks off after G Fest usually. Yeah. As well. So, but yeah, here uh, in two weeks, let me get the specific date here. Pull up my calendar. On February 23rd, we will be doing. Godzilla vs. Mothra, the 1992 film, uh, continuing our rediscussing uh, rediscussion of all the Godzilla films from Gojira all the way up through Godzilla 2000. And uh, then after that, we got some different films. And uh, actually, I don't think I shared this. Uh, you and I, I think, a couple weeks ago, actually sort of finalized, and I put that in quotes, Yeah, um, our new tentative schedule we're going to cover let me bring that up so i can share it with everybody so they kind of have an idea of what we're looking to do why don't you put it on a share screen oh yeah i didn't even think about that um and i'll still be talking about it so anybody who's seen it here on youtube bear with me because there are people who probably listen to listening to this on itunes that obviously can't um see what i'm sharing here not only itunes but google play and then on our website too okay so hey, here's the schedule. yeah there you are get off my screen um so obviously we got whoops see Ghidorah doesn't want to go away godzilla versus mothra uh february 23rd and then we got mecha godzilla space godzilla destroy us so we're gonna be going in order through the remainder of the heisei era then starting with episode 129 we're gonna take just a quick breather um and do gorath um i you know i have both the japanese and the english one do you have the japanese one uh i would have to double check on that uh, dvd that you gave me several months ago then I may have given you an English version if that's the case. Or no, maybe no. Maybe I did give you. What I'm going to try to do, though, is I got both. Uh, so in preparation for that particular podcast, I'm going to try to watch both. Um, I know at one point uh, Amazon Prime had uh, that movie for free, and I think it was the uh, original version with uh, English dub on it. But I'm not sure if they have that for free now. Um, mm -hmm. But I'll double check on that one DVD you gave me here. Yeah. And then we wrap up our rediscussion. Uh, for anybody who is new or listening to us for the first time, the reason why we're stopping at Godzilla 2000 um, is because Jason and I didn't think those first 23, uh, 23 or so episodes we did were all that great. So we're redoing all of them uh, up through 2000. Then after Godzilla 2000, with episode 131, we have Super Inframan. And then on episode 132, we are doing Godzilla King of the Monsters, but it's not the Raymond Burr. For those of you who have already forgotten, the new legendary Godzilla King of the Monsters will be released around that weekend. We are going to try to do our best to go and see it in theaters. Uh, it comes out probably that thursday and of course we record these podcasts on a saturday we're gonna do what we can to get to the theaters um you know friday hopefully no later than saturday uh morning 
and uh, try to um, see that so we can discuss it uh, for episode 132, keeping our fingers crossed. Then episode 133, The Human Vapor. I have both the English and Japanese versions of that. They are very different as well, so I would try to watch uh, both of those for that uh, particular podcast. Then episode 134, a movie I still have not yet seen, but uh, have owned it. Colossal. I haven't seen it either. So, um, yeah, I'm just a little apprehensive about it just because I'm not quite sure if it's something I'm going to to enjoy. But you know what? I thought the same thing about Matango, and it's one of my all-time favorites. So, <laughs> um, then, then we're actually getting into G-Fest season, believe it or not. Uh, episode 135 is going to be our G-Fest pre-show, and then we'll have G-Fest, so we won't have a podcast for probably about like a week and a week week and a half we're going to do our wrap up after that we just kind of talk about uh you know some of the things we did some of the things we witnessed and just talk about our own personal experiences at g-fest um during the given year then episode 137 magic serpent episode one thirty eight. pretty interesting one well, you know, I have to say, uh, I've seen that movie a couple of times uh, from the first time I saw it, it was, what, almost 20 years ago now. And I have to say, it's a lot better than I remember it. Oh, it's yeah. still goofy, but it's a lot better than I remember. <laughs> um, then episode 138, Aegon. Um, Aegon is a film that last I saw, you could buy it on Amazon for a decent price. Let me see if I can find it on my shelf here. Hold on a moment. But I know uh, with Aegon there, they usually show that movie every year on the G-Fest channel uh, through the hotel TVs. And I think, um, Brian, when you go there, I think, uh, not sure if it's your first one. I think you might have mentioned that this could be your first one, I think. Uh, but yeah, they, they have it every year, uh, the Aegon movie on the G-Fest channel. I think it's on channel two, which is the, the channel that is usually defaulted to every time you turn on that TV. So I don't know. Can you see me on screen sharing or not? Do I have to stop screen sharing? You probably will have to stop your screen sharing. Okay. I'm going to stop it here. So I need to make sure. Oh yeah. Okay. So okay. It'll, it'll be your second. So, okay. Um, Your second G-Fest. That's awesome, dude. Uh, I tell you, the first, I, I, in my personal opinion, the first two times we went were like my personal favorite times as well. So, uh, Aegon, uh, again, like Jason said, if you've been to G-Fest and you watch the G-Fest channel, you might have seen this in the rotation, but that's kind of what he looks like. Um, I was able to get this copy off of Amazon. I think I paid like 15 bucks for it. It was more or less sort of like a, a serial kind of. Um, it's a series of four. Um, I forget exactly what it is. There's no information on it here. Um, gosh, what is it like? It makes one full story, but each segment. Gosh, how long is it? Like, I think each segment is anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour, I want to say. Maybe even an hour and a half. An hour and a half seems too long. I, it's probably between 45 minutes to an hour for each segment. Um, 
it is sort of cheap, but you know what? At the same time, I found it to be really interesting uh, as well. Uh, I don't know if Amazon still has it. I bought this, gosh, a year and a half ago, maybe. And then, like I said, I got it for 15 bucks. Um, it's worth checking out, in my opinion. Uh, it's, you know, not the most fantastic thing you'll ever see, but um, uh, it's definitely, uh, I think it's still, you know, a pretty decent type of uh film so let me go back to screen sharing here okay so we're gonna do Aegon. uh this is gonna be one of the longer films like i said i think each segment's like between 45 minutes to an hour so it's gonna be between you know a three to four hour type of film i think overall maybe don't quote me on it then we're going to do the X from outer space. By the way, Jason, I just got it. You got my text here yesterday, didn't you? About uh... Yeah, I, I saw that and uh, I said to myself, uh, you finally got the Criterion version of X from outer space, which is one of those movies I've been tempted to get, but just haven't gotten around to it. This is the the criterion one and in fact all four of those movies i showed you are the japanese with english subs and in fact uh the dealer from a couple of years ago that i got the extra matter space from that was an japanese version with english subs and i think of the quality if it is the same thing i might just give you one of these copies that i have okay um because obviously i don't need two of them um right because I have both the English and the Japanese versions um, of this film. And I'm going to try to watch both of them for this, even though I don't think there's a ton of difference in between the two. But, oh well. And then probably going to be one of the wackier ones we have seen in a while. Uh, Monster X Strikes Back, sort of the pseudo-sequel uh, to X from Outer Space. It's kind of a comedy, more or less, featuring some of the classic um, actors from Toho and, and Katakawa slash Dae and Shochiku and stuff like that. Um, it's basically sort of a, a kaiju comedy involving uh, Gilala, which is Monster X or the X, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Prince of Space. Uh, is one of those films that's a double feature with Invasion of the Neptune Man. Or that should actually read Men, I think. Let me... <laughs> you can buy these on Amazon, last I knew. Uh, that's where I got them. They are a double feature. They're their own individual films. Uh, so we're going to do that. These were uh, interesting films. They're Japanese sci-fi space films so you know were they were they made in the 60s or the 70s uh they were they were made i think one of them was made in late 50s let me okay. quickly grab my dvd here let me see what the copyright says on them Okay, uh, I, there's, they were made in 64 and 65. I'm going to stop sharing again, so anybody who's interested and wants to see this on YouTube, uh, that's kind of what 
what the case looks like. So, um, yeah, this wasn't all that bad. I think it was maybe 10 bucks on uh, Amazon. Um, you think, uh, Brian says uh, he thinks they still have Aegon on Amazon, which is good. Because in that way, everybody has time to go pick up a copy of Aegon. That's wonderful. The more people that can grab a hold of that stuff, the better. All right, so go back to screen share. Come on here. Oops. Okay. And then after Prince of Space and Invasion of the Neptune Men, we're going to do a double feature with Gehara and Negadon. Uh, the reason why we're doing that is because Gehara is like a half hour long, I think, and Negadon is like 25 or so minutes long. Uh, anyone who's not familiar with Gehara, it's sort of a, another kaiju spoof. Uh, he's called Gehara, the long-haired monster. You'll see it uh, on the G-Fest channel uh, once in a while, uh, every G Fest. Negadon is an animated short, um, sort of an homage to uh, the classic kaiju and kaiju mech movies and shows uh, of the 60s and 70s. Um, like I said, they're both really short, so we're just going to do a double, uh, double fist pump or whatever you want to call it for um, those two uh, for episode 143 episode 144 we're doing half human um, I own both the Japanese and English versions so I'm going to try to watch both of those uh, for that and then probably one of the worst movies we're ever going <laughs> to review yes <laughs> Um, Gigameth. This is sort of a pseudo sequel to 1985's Polgasari. Um, Jason and I here a couple weeks ago sort of fast forward through the film. It's on YouTube in its entirety. So go check it out there. And fast forwarding it through YouTube, I can tell you right now it's crap. So <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have, I think, a lot of fun talking about that one. Oh, and yeah. Air Beneath the Sea. Uh, this is one you can also get on Amazon, I think, between 10 and 15 bucks. Uh, this was a film I bought February or March of last year. And um, I bought it because it was a Japanese science fiction film. And I love science fiction in general. And I love Japanese sci fi films, of course. Hence, we got a podcast. Um, and I like Sony Chiba. He was in. Um, I know a lot of people know him from the Street Fighter films. I've never seen him, and I don't know if I ever will, at least not anytime soon. But I liked him in uh, Golden Bat. That's one of my favorite guilty pleasure films uh, from Japan. And so I decided to buy this, and it got good reviews on Amazon. So I thought I'm going to go ahead and buy it. And within a week or two after buying it, I put it in and watched it. And yeah, it's really goofy, but at the same time, there is something really fun about it as well. Um, it's worth checking out. Crap! I just gave my hand. As far as <laughs> maybe everybody will forget about it when we get to this point, because by this point in the schedule. I think this actually goes into the first part of next year. Like, we'll probably won't be covering Terror Beneath the Sea until about this time next year, I think. So. And then, by the way, Brian, we'll see you uh, in a couple weeks here. So I'm going to stop sharing. 
Um, so yeah, that's um, you have to get off because by the time I'm gonna, you'll probably be done. Nice talk. Yeah, again, uh, you know, thanks Brian for jumping on. We always appreciate having you come on here. You uh, give us, uh, you know, things that. Um, uh, you, you kind of bring up points and stuff that we either miss or damn son um, that we that we miss or don't even think about. And, and again, I want to encourage everybody, whether you're listening to this, uh, you know, uh, in a podcast platform or you're seeing us on YouTube, uh, come and join us when we do these live shows. We always uh, if you subscribe to us on YouTube, we always um uh, try to get the live event up uh, during the week that we're supposed to record and you should get notifications that we're going to do a live event so if you subscribe to us on YouTube that'll help uh, let you know when we're doing a live event also uh, if you like us on our Facebook page we try to set reminders during the week as well and put up a link to the YouTube feed as well. So you can get involved uh, with this as well. And the more people we have, the better, like I said, as long as it's Kaiju related, come one, come all. Um, and uh, so we showed you the tentative schedule and um, I think that's about it right now. Yeah. So as Kent has mentioned, just uh, make sure to subscribe to us by clicking the subscribe button below this video here and then as well as uh, clicking that notification bell so you can get uh, notifications on any upcoming live stream events that we're doing or any new uh, videos that we're going to be putting up. Uh, I've been a little bit lacking as far as adding some uh the remastered videos of our PXCR days. But uh, yeah, I've been tempted to get back into doing those here. And uh, and then if you want to listen to us on uh, the audio version here, you can not only subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, but as well as uh, Google Play. And uh, you can go... Uh, directly to our website, uh, daikaijunetwork.com, and there is a audio player uh, uh, down your desktop or laptop or on your uh, mobile phone uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, just make sure to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, what have you. Yeah, and also I wanted to, to let everyone know, and I tried to make it know when I was covering it, the, the schedule, that is a tentative schedule. So um, for those who may not know what that means, that just means that's what we're looking to do and that we're leaving room for changes so that schedule can change uh, as the next year or so progresses. So one of the things, and I have yet to talk to Jason about, and I'm going to talk to him a, a little bit about it briefly when we get done here is I would like to maybe do a couple of commentaries just even in the next, what is this February? I keep forgetting it's February. Um, I would like yep. to do a couple commentaries over the next like few months uh, because it seems like with the commentaries, we've had some people who really enjoy us doing those. And it just seems like we only do like one or two commentaries a year. And I would like to try to up that a little bit more. Um, so that some of that stuff may get squeezed, um, you know, pushed further back. Um, so 
we always try to let everybody know, like I said, for, through our social media and even the latest podcast episodes, when we know things are set in stone, we try to let everybody know so they have a heads up, so they know what to expect from us content-wise uh, in the coming couple of weeks or so. So, um, like I said, I want to talk to Jason about that uh, when we get done here shortly, um, because I would like to do more commentaries as well. And I think commentaries are always fun. Uh, I don't know about Jason, but I always have fun doing them. Uh, so and I, think I, too, I enjoy doing them. Yeah. And I think, too, like if Brian or anybody else who comes join us live uh, on just even YouTube, if you follow along with us, the the unfortunate thing about following us live on youtube with a commentary is that there is like i think a 10 or 15 second delay maybe at least um on youtube which is unfortunate so some people are not going to necessarily you know if you follow us live on youtube you're not going to be 100 percent synced up with us so I don't know if that's something you could still do if you want you're just going to be a few seconds behind or if you just want to listen uh, as we do it and just follow along with us as we uh, watch and discuss it, that's great too. So it's up to you. But I just want to say there is a decent lag uh, from the time we deliver it to the time it shows up on your end on YouTube. So uh, we just want to let you know on that. We'll try to let everyone know about that too when we do these commentaries that if you're doing it on YouTube, <laughs> you're going to be like 15, 20 seconds behind us approximately. So yeah. Uh, um, just we're kind of letting everyone know now. So with that, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we will see you in a couple weeks when we discuss 1992's Godzilla versus Mothra. All right. Take it easy, folks. Yeah.